What's good, everyone? Welcome into the show. We got episode 24 of A Small Scoop of Sports. I am your co-host, Chris Molina. With me today is your co-host, Jairo Gutierrez. Jairo, say what's up to the people. What's up? What's up, everybody? Like Chris said, welcome into episode number 24. We really appreciate you joining us as always. And we have some good stuff for you today. Of course, a follow-up, like we said last episode, on, what is it? 2000s Basketball Nostalgia. A great, great episode for you. But before we get into that, we have to start off with a quick update on college football. So we talked a couple of weeks ago. There were some different, you know, situations going on. There was a key injury to two of the, the Alabama quarterback. But now we've had rivalry week. There's been, um, again, some great, great battles. And Chris had talked about Boomer Sooner, Sooner, sorry, Oklahoma, balling out, setting up the scenario for them to reach that top four. So, Chris, update us, man. Update us, the listeners. What's going on? How do you see it right now? And who is going to be in that actual final four? So, yeah, um, right now we got the championship weekend this weekend. So by the time you listen to it, the Oregon-Utah game will be that later that evening. That'll be a good one. So right now, the second to last playoff rankings before the final ones are all said and done. Ohio State, number one, 12-0. LSU, number two, 12-0. Clemson, number three, 12-0. And then this is where it gets interesting. Right now, Georgia is fourth. Utah's fifth. I don't agree with that at all. Oklahoma's sixth. And Baylor is seventh. So we got Utah and Oregon playing. Oregon's 13th. They they have no shot to make the playoffs. But Oregon can still win the Pac-12 and then go to the Rose Bowl representing the Pac-12. So that's motivation enough to beat Utah. Oklahoma's playing number seven, Baylor. So the winner of that will... Um, be the Big 12's like nominee for that final fourth spot and then Georgia's playing LSU so Georgia if Georgia wins they're in and no one else is so Utah Oklahoma Baylor all SOL if Georgia loses though that's what opens the door um for either Utah Oklahoma or Baylor we'll see Oklahoma plays Baylor like I said Utah plays Oregon Remember I, I said a couple weeks back, like I gave the scenario for Oklahoma to make the playoff? Yes. So far, everything's come true. <laughs> that's why, that's why, yeah, dude, looking at it right now, because what well, Oklahoma was, I believe, number nine um, with one loss. Obviously, they still have one loss last time um, with your prediction. Right now, they're in sixth. Um, and like you said, dude, Utah is 11 and one, they're fifth overall. But Uh, which I don't agree with but if they lose bro obviously Oklahoma wins and they can move up so how do you see it break first of all I guess as you mentioned dude the Georgia LSU game is the big one right because if Georgia wins um they'll both be 12 and 1 and it seems like the top four will be locked in do you agree or what, what what do you see how do you see Oklahoma making the final four now um, so definitely, first and foremost, they have to win. Mm-hmm. Also, equally as important, LSU has to win. LSU is locked no matter what. But they want to avoid playing Ohio State in the first round. Um, so it, if they want to avoid that, they should win. 
against Georgia, you know, take the SEC, knock out a rival, they'll be probably number one, Ohio State number two, or vice versa. But if they lose, they're going to drop to number four, and then they'll be playing Ohio State in the first round. So I'm hoping LSU beats Georgia, we beat Baylor. And then this one is third on my list, even though it's the first game of the weekend, Utah and Oregon, because thankfully Oregon lost. Um, so they, what's more impressive, Utah beating the 13 or Oklahoma beating the 7, right? Definitely. So I think Oklahoma can still jump Utah if they both teams win, especially if Oklahoma wins convincingly. Um, but it would be nice to see Oregon win so you don't have to worry about the committee having to make that decision. So, overall, uh, Oklahoma, LSU, Oregon, those are the three teams I'm rooting for hardcore this week for Oklahoma to slide into that fourth spot. And I know you don't agree with Utah being um, that fifth spot ahead of Oklahoma. Let me ask you, do you is there any scenario where Utah – makes the top four and let's say they beat Oregon so they'll go to 12 and one Oklahoma beats Baylor they'll also be 12 and one and LSU beats Georgia so Georgia gets knocked out with two losses do you think it's possible that the committee selects Utah to be that number four spot over Oklahoma it is possible last two weeks even though I've been uh, on Twitter I've been ranting about how uh, Oklahoma should be ahead of Utah but Utah's ahead of Oklahoma, so it's definitely possible if both teams win, that Utah finishes ahead of Oklahoma. The reason why I'm so adamant that Utah does not deserve to be in the playoff over Oklahoma if they both win this week is because their strength of schedule. They have zero top 25 wins. Um, Oregon would be their first. And then Oklahoma, they beat Baylor. Um, They beat, let's see... Oklahoma State, who's still in the top 25. Kansas State um, is hovering right there. That's their one loss um, in the top 25. And Utah's one loss is also um, around that area, too, in USC. Remember I said USC and Kansas State were basically the same team? The committees think so, too. So Oklahoma would have yet another uh, top 10 win. So it would be two top 10 wins. And Utah wouldn't even have one. They'd only have one top 25 win. So I don't get it. I I mean, I don't get it. But I guess if they both win, Utah still has a chance of beating us out for that four spot. Well, that's going to be interesting then, dude, for them to make it with, like you said, basically a lack of signature wins. Um, So I guess it's going to be interesting, right? This last week is going to be super, super um, crucial for just seeing how the seeding, either way, if you don't make, obviously, the top four is the goal. Oklahoma is still going to be playing um, in another bowl, but they got to yeah. get that W due to finish 12-1 and one and at least do everything in their power to try to make that, that top to four, right? To try and convince the committee. Yeah, that's, mm-hmm. all they can, that's all they can do. They can hope for other teams to lose, but um, as long as they finish 12-1, and one, I'm happy. Uh, even though Utah's best win right now is against Arizona State, who has five losses. Um, whatevs. So. <laughs> <laughs> all right, dude. Well, so far, so good, though. Well, mad props to uh, your predictions. I think, um, dude, it's almost as close as it can possibly be. They've all been right so far the yeah. last two weeks. Auburn beat Alabama. Mm-hmm. Ohio State beat Penn State and Michigan. Um, let's see what else. Clemson has done their job in the ACC and they've won out. 
And then Oklahoma's one out too. All I need now for sure is uh, LSU to win and Oklahoma to win. And then we'll see about that Utah-Oregon game. If Utah makes the top four, I hope that they lose by like 80. That's what I'm <laughs> So it for. proves uh, the, that they were wrong. They're like, yeah, uh, yeah we should not put them. Which actually, dude, if they do make the four and they play Ohio State, um, I think it's realistic that they will get rocked. I don't know about 80, but like 35. I 90, be no, I'm just Oh, yeah, 95. <laughs> All righty. Well, there we have it, right, dude? So after this week, we will definitely talk and give the True. results of yeah. who finished top four, right? And and see either you're very if happy. I'm salty. Or, or... <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Or very salty and disappointed in the committee. Um, but either way, it's going to be interesting, dude. So you ready to, uh, you know, tell the listeners what's good for today and what we're going to be getting into? Yeah. So we're going to get into part two of the NBA in the 2000s with our guests. Um, we're going to close out our top, our starting five plus our uh, sixth man. Remember, we had a point guard, a shooting guard, a small forward already chosen in episode 22. So if you don't know who they are, back it up. Listen to episode 22. It's pretty great. If I might say so myself, I'm very unbiased in this opinion. But um, yeah, go ahead and listen to see who half our team is because we're finishing out the second half of our team. Exactly, exactly. Couldn't have said it better, dude. Um, it's going to be uh, uh, interesting to see what the listeners think after today's episode. We'll put out that poll with, um, you know, all six players of each of our teams. And then, hey, let the listeners decide, bro. I think we each would say that ours is the best. But, of course, um, our listeners' input is what counts, right? Yep, exactly. So, unless they choose wrong. So, uh, everyone <laughs> has an opinion, even if it's wrong. That's what they eat. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, ready, ready to get into it, bro? Yeah, let's do it. So, there we go. One through three. Now, Seth, take us. Who is your number four um, player? Who's your power forward position? Uh, thanks, Heido. I have Dirk Nowitzki at my number four. Obviously, my team's going to be humongous, and I don't care. <laughs> um, Dirty Dirk, what can you say about him? The big German, he was an incredible player. Again, another dude that was kind of ahead of his time and probably really revolutionized what the big man became. I think a lot of dudes kind of copied him in the way that they really went outside. Um as good as a guy like KG was, he was really more of like a staying in the mid-range. Same thing with Duncan. Dirk was really that first guy that can consistently go outside, make the deep ball, but also had the inside game, could post up. And then he had the sick little, I don't even know what to call that move anymore. Just the one where he would just kick out his leg and like mm-hmm. use it as the like... Dirk. The yeah, dirt. the dirt, yeah. like, <laughs> just use it to create space from the defender, and it was already impossible to block his shot anyway because he was seven feet tall. So just some of the accolades for Dirk in the decade. He was an eight-time All-Star, 14 total. Uh, he ended up becoming a champion, which came later in the uh, 2010s when he took down LeBron, which in retrospect looks like a great, great uh, historical finals win and was a big upset. Um, he was the MVP of that finals. He ended up finishing 11th all-time in three-pointers made with 1,982 threes, um, sixth all-time in points, which is crazy, 
31,560, and he was the 06-07 MVP. Um, I'm really glad that Dirk won that championship, especially because everybody hated LeBron that year. But I think it was just a culmination where he was finally able to get over the hill because if you guys remember during his MVP season, they ended up getting bounced in the first round in a 1-8 matchup against the Warriors. Um, they also got completely screwed out of the finals against the Heat. That's why and... they said the MVP of that year was yeah. the officials. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you were completely right about that. And then on top of that, not only did he have to contend with all of that, but then he had the Kobe Shaq Lakers, the Kobe Powell Lakers, the Duncan Spurs, like for his entire career since he was always with Dallas. So, I mean, I think he pro- there's probably not a player outside of maybe Nash had to go through a harder road in the West. And unfortunately, it seemed like he kept coming up short. But I'm glad he won that championship. Terrific player. And like I said, another guy that if I had to do the evolution of who the modern guy is for him now, that's way, way better. It's probably Kevin Durant. Uh, I think just coming up, seeing a guy like that, even though KD was seven feet, he had the confidence to automatically know that he could play from the outside. And I mean, as much as I love Dirk, KD's a way better shooter and just could catch hot streaks like no other. So that's cool to see the evolution and just probably 10 years of what KD has become and how good he is. Uh, so Dirk is my fourth guy. What do you guys think? I like it. Um, that 2011 NBA championship is when the legend of the Dirk No Miski was born. <laughs> I cannot. I still cannot believe he took down the Miami Heat that year. And like, he's like, oh yeah, we got Tyson Chandler, we got JJ Barea, we got like a 38 year old J kid. We got this. We got this. Uh, one of the bigger upsets that I have ever seen. Yeah. Oh, what about you, Hido? Yeah. So uh, two things come to mind um, with Dirk. First thing. Hands down, bar none, the best European basketball player to ever live. Um, I want to argue, I'm not sure, I think that one would take a little bit longer. The best foreign um, NBA player of all time. Hakeem comes to to mind, maybe Nash, I'm not sure, it's, it's difficult, so I want to say that. And then that, that run that you just mentioned, Chris, um, I think Dirk was in the range of almost 60 free throws that he made in a row um, in that run. So it was just that no, uh, yeah, what did you say? No, no Minsky or what did you say, Chris? No Minsky. No Minsky, bro. So um, I just remember. He couldn't he miss. He couldn't miss. I just remember seeing. Oh, and Cess, uh reference to what you said of his, uh, hit the Dirk, his shot. I also saw Sports Science. I don't know if you guys remember that show where they analyzed mm-hmm. crazy, all that stuff. Of that yep. jumper, dude, you had to jump up and be in the air. Like, your hand had to be, like, 11 feet in the air to be able to block Dirk's um, fadeaway jumper. It was something ridiculous, dude. Like, obviously, that's why nobody ever did it. But when you see the Sports Science behind it, it was really, really amazing that a 7-footer, pretty damn slow, um could stroke like that and just score pretty much at will. So um, I think that's a great pick. And Dirk is one of the one of the biggest, uh, best fours of all time. So You know um, who kind of stole that move and kind of remixed it a little bit too, obviously in a way different way. But I don't know if you guys have noticed like how much Steph does that when he sticks out his leg. Mm-hmm. Like I think it's kind of his version of the Dirk where 
he really used it to create the context. So he that because Steph is ridiculous with how many like four point plays he created from himself. And I think it was really from that, uh, because he was just so much more athletic than Dirk. To your point, Dirk was always so slow, and that's kind of what he could get away with down in the post or in the mid-range. Steph kind of took it and made it something completely different and almost like another weapon. And even guys like Harden are doing it now. It's yep. kinda, Sometimes it's annoying. I don't think Dirk's was quite that bad, but it was definitely a cool move that I don't ever remember seeing anybody before him do. Yep, and especially not to that um, level of efficiency, dude. That was literally unstoppable. It was like, you're, yeah, you're cashed. So, yep. Um, yep. yeah, great pick. What about you, Chris? Who's your uh, who's your number four starting pole? So I'm going to throw it to you guys. I want you guys to vote here. I have two different players. Um, <laughs> it's kind of, I just came up with this on the spot. So player number one, I'm not going to say names. Um, he was the rookie of the year in 2001. He has five or four all league uh, awards. So he was the all NBA third team twice, the all NBA second team twice, six time all star. Um, so in the decade, he averaged, give me one sec, he averaged 18 and nine a game with three assists and 1.7 blocks. So that's player A. Let's, let's move to player B. Player B, also a six-time All-Star. He had five total All-NBA nods, one on the first team, four on the second team. Um, and then he was uh, in the decade, let's see, let me scroll, 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 uh, 21 points per game, 8.9 rebounds, one assist, one and a half blocks. Uh, so player A or player B, who's, who should that be for me? Mm. It sounds to me, dude, I was right, trying to jot down some stats. It sounds like player B is a little better at 21, yeah. 9, 1, and 1.5, as well as it sounds like he had a uh, first-team All-NBA, whereas the first dude did not. He only had a second and third. So I would go with the second player. Who, who are they? Uh, what about you, Seth? Uh, I would say B as well, just off of the stats that you rattled. So uh, does this throw you guys... Uh, 1.4 assists versus 3.5 assists. So the one with the averages last points almost had twice as many assists per game. That's tough. He had really. Does that sway you at all? Uh, I would still give the edge a little bit to the other dude. Um. Yeah, I still take B. Yeah. It's okay. a scorer's lead, right. man. <laughs> True. That's fair. That's fair. But let, before I reveal these names, one of them is a two-time NBA mm -hmm. champion. The other didn't win. The player A is Pau Gasol. Player B is Amare Stoudemire. Damn. So that's kind of interesting, too. They're pretty close. They're pretty close in comparison. Stoudemire, a little bit better of a scorer. Pau Gasol, better assist man. Um, they basically played in the same time period. They were good in the same times. So I don't know. What do you think? Did that surprise you at all? Wow. Well, I was just gonna say I was I was completely surprised by who those guys. I was trying to rattle my head. I was like, who are these guys? Um, honestly, so just in the research that I was doing uh, for the pod today, um, Amari just watching some YouTube videos of him in like the early two thousand, like early to mid two thousands with Nash. He was a beast. I don't know why. Maybe I just like remember him more when he was like getting older and slower from the, the Knicks. Knicks. <laughs> but man, that dude could jump. Like, it just kind of stuck out to me where I was like, 
holy smokes like i forgot young amari how much of a beast he was like he was around the baskets probably getting sick passes from nash like all the time and on top of that i was just looking at some of the playoff runs that he had um unfortunately in one of the years that they went up against the spurs um and lost four to one i think in one of the conference finals amari led every game in scoring in that series and he averaged 37 and 10 on on the spurs and i was like whoa i was like i do not remember like it going down that way and clearly it spoke to maybe that was pop strategy but either way he torched them nash torched them and somehow the spurs still won for one um but i don't know man like amari's gonna be one of those guys that probably gets forgotten and is probably underrated but he was a sick player i mean so was pow definitely way more rounded but I don't know who I would take. It's just like he got Powell had the privilege of playing with a much, much better player, you know? Uh, for some, for a little bit of the decade, yes. yeah. But for uh, about 60% of it, he was with Memphis. Yeah, and he didn't, he didn't, that's what I'm saying for the two championships that you added, like he wouldn't have had those if he stayed in Memphis. And same with Amari being in Phoenix and running up against the Spurs or the Lakers all the time. Like, it's kind of one of those things, you know, like, I, I'm not saying he's not a good player. I'm just saying I think that Powell had the benefit of getting a trade and midway through his career landing on a really good team when he was already a really good player himself. But I don't know if Heido has, yeah. has a different opinion or if he kind of agrees with that. No, I, I think um, definitely the circumstances uh, favored Powell, especially obviously in that trade to the Lakers. Um, the one thing I will say is if they ask you to pick one you know for your franchise uh would you rather have in that decade Powell or amari i think most people would pick amari um even you know reading off those two championships i i say obviously is is what cesar says it's more he was in a really good team don't get me wrong without Powell, the lakers do not win but i think if you sub in amari on that team i think they could do the same thing so um i would still pick amari and like you said cesar he was explosive dude i remember amari and the Suns was so fun to watch um, it was a shame that they never got it done because that was an exciting team. So, um, Amari was a good pick. I don't know. Do you guys have anything else to add there with Amari? Yeah, let me close out this little segment. So, I originally had Amari Stoudemire uh, written down here. And when you said Dirk, greatest uh, European of all time, I was like, wait. So, I need to mention Powell here. Powell Gasol needed at least a little, a little nod to how good he was. Um, so I kind of came up came up with that fun little guessing game there. No, and, but and Powell's right there, dude. Powell's but, probably yeah. Powell is probably um, next, don't you think? Because um, as good as he's been, also with the international team, Spain has always been one of the better teams. Included with his NBA career, Powell is definitely one of the best um, Europeans and probably the best Spaniard to ever you know play ball. So yeah, yeah, and uh, just to kind of reiterate about Mare, one other thing I had. In 2004 and 2005, the year the Suns won 62 games, he put up 26 and 9 per game. That was a monster year for Stoudemire. Um, Powell never really had one of those monster years, but he was always consistent. He's out 19, 18, 18, 20, 20, 18, 18, 19, 19. So it's just explosiveness versus consistency. 
and it was a fun way to talk about my fourth. So you want to go ahead and talk about yours, Haido? Yeah, that was a good one. And I like the way you, you spit that out. I also had no clue who, you, who the hell you were talking about. Um, <laughs> so the, my four is none other than the big ticket. The high school kid is the number five pick in the NBA draft. Kevin Garnett, 19 years old. Kevin Garnett, KG. Um, straight legend um, from for the decade 2001 to 2010 he averaged 20.8 points 11.7 boards four and a half assists 1.3 steals and 1.5 blocks um he was a 50 percent field goal shooter and i was surprised as well he was almost at 80 percent uh for free throws so 79 um better than d wade that's why i was like what the what's going on here um but Gardant man for the decade first of all the 08 championship right with the celtics what a huge um championship for his legacy just like Dirk won his um that was big time through the decade KG was a 10-time all-star so every every he didn't miss it one single year he's also one of the uh first players um to come out of high school so that was another thing obviously that was in 90 I think three but um I just wanted to point that out that Garnett was also kind of a trendsetter in that uh, sense he was also an nba mvp in 04 um and he was a 10-time defensive player um he was on an all-defensive team throughout the decade as well eight times on the first team two times on the second team so he didn't miss a single year of being an all-star or of being on the all-defensive team or being an all-star uh, sorry or and then he was a four-time rebounding champion so um with all that being said the big ticket, I think um, the coolest part was that he was just as effective on two teams. So, of course, with the T-Wolves, we know he was um, the superstar there. He didn't get it done. They the conference finals with Sam Cassell, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Latrell Sprewell. Latrell Sprewell, <laughs> yes. Um, they did get it done. So, he finally, you know, ends up teaming up with Paul Pierce and Ray Allen in Boston. But right away, man, in one year, they literally turned it around and I was just very happy to see that kg uh, won his championship and i think the intensity is what sticks out as well with KG yeah he was, that I mean. he was just a mean <laughs> dude he had that that mean streak and um never changed it for anyone and it ended up working out for him so for all those reasons mr kg has to be um my number four you guys have any thoughts or anything to add dude I just, yeah i was just gonna say that uh this one like this struck close to home as well on just like the emotional side one of my favorite players for sure in the decade um another complete psycho it would always be hilarious <laughs> when he would go to the to the like basket and be like talking to himself and like punching the little plastic yeah. part that like covers the bottom of the, the basket and you're like mm -hmm. what the heck is he doing but like <laughs> that was part of his like routine mm -hmm. and super fierce like you guys said super competitor I always loved that about him and even though he was like a borderline psycho again <laughs> one of the things that I like who do you really have in the league like that anymore there aren't True. guys like that anymore and even though they're really good players guys that uh, play really hard still like just that certain kind of weirdo that you're like KG's a little bit off but I love watching him and you always knew that even though he played through injuries through pain he got older like he always just gave you 110% and he just left it all on the court uh it was always awesome to watch and yeah those Boston teams that he was on were really tough it was also cool that he was still in his prime and was able to take a step back yep. to 
joined Paul Pierce's team and really to try to build kind of their the first big three there and to build like a perennial contender, which a lot of dudes just aren't willing to do. And you can tell that he was probably just like really fed up with a lot of the losing that happened in Minnesota and just the frustrations of being on, on not very good teams, even though he was awesome. Okay. And he was mean. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I just wanted to reiter- reiterate that. That was a good pick. Um, I think it was interesting, too, that um, kind of hearing about his routine, it brings me back. His head banging on the on the basket is uh, talking to himself. His mean stares is kind of is interesting. And as well as uh, his run with the Celtics. Uh, so... Do you want to talk now about your center, Cesar? Yep. Uh, So rounding it out with my number five, uh, kind of an oddball pick here. Um, I picked Dwight Howard for my five, Um, even though he got drafted a little bit later in the decade. So I guess by technicality, he's not going to have all of the stats or accolades for the 2000s. He was drafted in the or started in the 04-05 season. Um, so he ended up having three all-stars in the decade, eight total. Um, he was a three-time defensive player of the year a little bit later on, and he actually won those three straight years. Um, he ended up becoming a five-time rebounding champ and a two-time block champ. So the reason that I picked Dwight is I think this was the last decade where his skill set was still like a very viable one and I mean he did take a magic team to the finals where there were a lot of shooters built around him and maybe a couple of breaks go a different way they might have actually won that finals because it was kind of it was kind (laughs) of contested but um his skill set still like was one that you could play with in this decade and build around and obviously he was a beast um in his best seasons he was good for 21 and 14 rebounds uh incredible shooting efficiency i know he wasn't a great free throw shooter but then he got you you know two to three blocks a game and a steal so um just defensively he really could anchor your defense i remember a lot of those um orlando magic teams just were not good defensive teams but he was so good and so athletic that they kind of just like it seemed like they just put all of the pressure on him and he kind of was able to absorb it all and just like wield the defense um, around him. So he was a pretty special player. I know that lately he's kind of become like a laughing stock of sorts and he's got a crazy haircut now on the Lakers, <laughs> but he was a really, really, really good player in the 2000s and was for like 10 years straight. So. I have a couple of uh, quick thoughts about your pick. I think it's an excellent pick because uh, that Magic team was really good. It took down LeBron. That ultimately led to LeBron leaving. Not that year. It was the next year. But that kind of set off the tri- the chain of events yep. that led led to the Miami Big Three. But uh, you're kind of right. Um, so two things that pop into my head from the Magic Lakers finals. Uh, Haido, you want to talk about one of them? Oh, well, actually, I'm not sure what you're thinking, Chris. I don't know if you remember. What I was thinking as well when Cesar said that is a couple of breaks or a couple of things go here and there and it changes. Do you remember? It was, I want to say, game 
two or three when they threw an alley-oop to Courtney <laughs> Lee and he missed the layup. It was a wide open layup. Oh, yeah. Perfect pass. That. We went, they ended up missing, obviously, didn't win the game. We went into overtime and the Lakers won that game in overtime. I remember very clearly thinking we just got away with a huge break. I don't know. What were you thinking, Chris? That was exactly one of the ones I was thinking mm-hmm. of right there. Um, that, uh, Courtney Lee, let me see. And then the Derek uh, Fisher three. Yeah, the Derek yep. Fisher okay. three. The Derek Fisher three <laughs> in Orlando where Kobe, uh, I think it was Kobe passed it back and he hit a clutch three right at the top of the key. And that was just some um, uh, uh, sealer for sure. So if those were the two dudes, Cesar's right. I mean, two things go their, you know, their way. It kind of changes the entire series. Yeah, uh, so the Courtney Lee one was in game two. So mm-hmm. it could have changed the whole series there. It would have won 1-1 uh, right there, right? It would have went 1-1, and then mm-hmm. the Magic won the first game in Orlando, so 2-1, and then the Fisher won. But the Fisher won too. What set that up was two missed free throws. So uh, it was a lot closer than 4-1. So I, I, I nod to that right there, so I saw it. Heido, any more thoughts about Dwight before I talk about my center? Well, I think Dwight is uh, would have been... A guy like Dirk, that's the other only thing that comes to mind. Had he gotten that one done, it solidifies the legacy forever. I think now, with his crazy hairdo and whatever the hell he's doing, he's trying to get that one ring to add to his legacy now that he's an older dude in L.A. But had he gotten it done with Orlando, dude, that would have just been such a legacy win. So um, that's the only thing that I can think of. But of course, the Black Mamba had to snatch that one from him. Yeah, um, kind of interesting. He pretty well right now with the Lakers for his role he you know he's taking his role uh, into you know it's a heart yeah because he's an at-will employee too so he doesn't want to be fired um, exactly. he has nothing <laughs> guaranteed just on a day-by-day it's kind of interesting but <laughs> to, <laughs> to transition we got the great wall Yao Ming center for the Houston Rockets he took the world by storm, and when I say the world, I mean the world. He revitalized a culture in China that kind of maybe eh with the NBA, but since Yao Ming came into the league, China was, I don't know if they still are or not, huge NBA fans. Uh, he had a stretch between 2002 to 2009 before he kind of succumbed to injuries. I mean, he was 7'6", 310 pounds, and he made, whenever he'd go up against Shaq, he made Shaq look like a little kid. <laughs> it's true, dude. It's true. Those battles, remember those those Sunday afternoon battles on ABC? That was the best, dude. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Yao was legit. From 2002 to 2009, he put up 19 points per game, 9 rebounds, 1.9 blocks and 1.6 assists and then the 2006-2007 season was probably his best all-around season two blocks per game 25 points nine rebounds he was awesome and then um on basketball reference one of their nicknames was the dynasty and that's kind of funny i never heard of that before <laughs> ming ming dynasty um he was he's in the hall of fame he's a five Five total all-NBA nods, two second teams, three third teams, which is pretty impressive considering he played with Shaq half of that career, and then Dwight, the second half of that career. Um, And he was an eight-time All-Star. Yao was legit. 
performed that two two man punch with T Mac uh, in those mid two thousands Rocket teams that were really good. That's a great pick, Chris. That uh, actually goes hand in hand with my pick. I don't know if Seth, do you have anything to add on Yao before uh, I give Mike? Ooh, just real quick, it kind of sucked how when I was looking at his stats as well and I thought, you know, he might be my center, it just seemed like his career flamed out a lot quicker than I remember it. Um, and yeah, then even looking at it now, he didn't really have too many seasons where he played close to the full season. I remember he just was always battling injuries and I just think, to your point, Chris, like he was just such a massive dude. If you make Shaq look small, you're just a massive human being (laughs) and uh that sucks because he was actually really good and actually pretty polished for like offensively for how tall he was um i'm looking at his free throw percentages now they were actually really good they were like in the 80s so the guy had a lot of skill but it was just like a lot of the classic big man stories like their bodies end up failing them because you're not mm-hmm. supposed to be seven feet. Yeah. Yeah, not seven feet tall, running really fast and jumping all the time. Like, that's not what that body's made to do. So, just a really good player. Sucks how short his NBA career was. His, I agree. His impact as well outside of basketball, Chris, I think that was a good point. Obviously, <laughs> we know what's going on right now, particularly ironically with Houston, um, what happened with um, their, uh, with Morty, right? And kind of screwing up, re- kind of screwing up, re- yeah, dude, kind of screwing up relations right now in China. But um, I feel Yao obviously being Chinese, but he was so good um, that he really changed the game globally, dude. So he was dope and what a skilled player for being 7'5", even if he was like, you know, as tall as Shaq, he was, he was still pretty good. So what a great pick. And that takes me to my number five, um, which is Mr. Shaquille O'Neal. The Diesel, Superman, uh, the Big Aristotle, whatever you want to call him. Big the Cactus. Diesel, there you go, the Big Cactus. Um, so he was, first of all, I want to say he could have been a top player in the two decades, right? In the 90s, as well as in the 2000s. Um, I for think this we did decade, pick him in the 90s I well. believe we did as well, yeah. So um, what, what he did in this decade, and again, I want to point out from about 07, until 2010 his numbers really really dropped but still with those numbers included he averaged 21.3 points 9.9 rebounds two and a half assists and two blocks per game um that was in the decade right and through there he was a four-time champion three-time finals mvp those were as we know back to back to back that is the last team to three-peat by the way um he was a nine-time all-star in the decade he was a 2000 scoring champion and he was a seven-time All-NBA first team for the decade um, with a total of um, 14 All-NBA. So he had seven in the 90s and seven in the 2000s. Again, those first seven years before he kind of fell off, um, you know, pretty badly and then retired. Uh, a Hall of Famer. He also has the second highest um, player efficiency rating, the one that I mentioned with LeBron. Him and LeBron are the highest. Um, for comparison purposes, LeBron's was, I said, 27.6. Shaq was 26.4. And he was the closest um, to LeBron. So um, the impressive part was those runs that he had in the NBA Finals with the Lakers, right? For the listeners that aren't really familiar, he also went to the finals with the Orlando Magic in the 90s, where he was also um, a focal point with Penny Hardaway. So Shaq did it similar um, to who we were talking about earlier with KG. 
two different teams and he went back and instead of you know kind of giving up they won three of four three and five years they went four or five years so um Shaquille O'Neal to me is the most dominant center of all time I want to get your guys take um on that actually that's a question that I have for you when you think most dominant center of all time is that Shaq or does somebody else come to mind and does that equate best center of all time what is your guys answer to that go ahead Sasan um Probably, man. It's it's hard to say just because I know that there's guys like uh, Kareem and Will, which were the dream. probably the golds. Yeah, I mean, but there were just so many good centers. It's hard to automatically pencil Shaq in. Mm-hmm. It's kind of funny. I was going to give you a hard time about you picking him in the 2000s because I saw how much his uh, his stats tailed off. Dropped off. Obviously yeah. know why. He was obviously a lot older. And as we know, Shaq loved to not be in shape when the mm-hmm. season started, <laughs> hence why a lot of times him and Kobe had riffs and probably eventually drove them apart. I think he was a huge fun-loving guy and maybe didn't take basketball as seriously as a psycho like Kobe, um, <laughs> but a tremendous player nonetheless. I, it's hard to say he's not, just based on the t- statistics alone. All I know is that the dudes were basically draped on him in like the late 90s early 2000s and a lot of times the refs did not call fouls it was actually a really crazy style of of play and I know that the referees hated refereeing uh his games because he was just so difficult to get calls right and because of how big and physical he was um but at the same time you know like he had the three-peat and he had all the accolades of being one of the best players of all time. Uh, I guess I, I, it's not in dispute for me. If you think he's the best center of all time, you know, that's like a valid opinion. I'm not really going to dispute that. The, what's more curious to me is if you guys think that a guy like Shaq would still have a place in the modern NBA because of how big he was. Like, or I, do you think he, he would have had to stay like skinny Orlando Shaq to, to survive now? Chris, you want to answer that or you want me to go? Because that's a great question. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, I think, and Seth, we talked about, it's funny because you told me um, on the Bill Simmons pod, right? I listened to the one on Shaq, actually. Uh, Chris, I recommend it. I'll I'll send it to you. That's a great podcast um, where they were talking about that, right? That was obviously a big um, topic. Would he be effective in today's game? My opinion is he was so dominant, dude, that um, I think even in today's game, granted, I don't think he could be fat Shaq, you know, like when he would roll up at the beginning of the year. I don't think he'd also have to be Orlando Shaq. Um, But he was so dominant that I think still today teams would actually have to adjust to him. Um, So first of all, what would happen with free throws? Dude, Shaq would shoot like 30 free throws a game in today's game as opposed to even 15 years ago because he used to shoot a lot then. And like you said, the refs hated officiating his games. Now, what would it be when with any little touch, it's a foul, right? My only argument, dude, is um, the free throws. That's where it comes into play, where now, obviously, he did make 52%, so you're obviously getting one of two, but I don't know if that would have to change his style, his his game, dude, because then people would just intentionally foul him, and then obviously he would be ineffective, so... That's the only argument. I think he would still be effective if he could shoot a little bit better free throws. What do you think, Chris? Um, so in today's game, he would be fouled out along with the uh, every 
player from the opposing roster in about 30 seconds. So, (laughs) (laughs) uh, with today's rules, it's hard to kind of tell because Shaq was just so dominant that some of the times when he would just kind of bull over the defender. And back in the day, it was like, oh, no problem. You should uh, hit the weight room, dude. Or, but now it's like uh, offensive foul. So it's, yeah. it's a little hard to tell, but I will say a comp, like, of course, he doesn't even come close to Shaq, but kind of the style, um, Andre Drummond. Andre Drummond cannot shoot. Um, he can't, he, well, he's gotten a lot better recently, but he used to be like 30% from the free throw line. But he's just so dominant on the on the boards and then he gets his even though he's not he wouldn't be as aggressive as Shaq was uh and he's still he's he's carved out a nice career so far I think this year he's putting up like 17 and 18 a game so I think there's room for Shaq to be successful in today's game he just has to adapt with the level of physicality you know who I'm actually noticing just as like a random tangent that you're saying that comp like Drummond's been around for a while, but this year specifically is uh, the Greek freak, Giannis. Like, he's actually been fouling out, like, a lot, which tells me he's being, like, super aggressive, like, at the basket. And, you know, obviously, he's nowhere nearly as big as Shaq. He's, like, a skinny little, like, muscular dude. But I think he's, like, really, really aggressive, like going to the hoop and then he's also trying to swat everybody's shot when he's playing defense so he's just picking up like dumb fouls but I think I kind of see like Giannis playing like a baby Shaq this year and I mean I think he's probably well on his way to get an MVP so maybe that's what Shaq would have to be like in the modern era like if he just obviously wasn't as big like we saw him slim down he just wouldn't be able to lift that many weights and and do all that because the other thing is how would he be able to keep up with the pace mm-hmm. i feel like he would he would always be like he would break down huh? yeah like he'd be kind of like Embiid is now that's like one of the biggest <laughs> yeah like knocks on him that he's never in shape and you can see that he's huffing and puffing when the other the rest of the dudes on the floor are just like running up and down so it's an interesting what if but i mean Shaq was nasty i remember how crazy it was to see him like break baskets and just dominate other bigs and just be awesome so uh i don't know chris you never answered did you think he was the best center of all time uh i do not i'm going with hakeem the dream i just think he's a little bit better defensively and we did see them head to head in one year even though Shaq was very dominant uh hakeem hakeem still was too Got the better of him, but it's close. It's like one A and one little A, or something like that. Uh, <laughs> uh, so let's transition from centers real quick. Uh, do you want to talk about your sixth man before we get into a couple more segments? Rebound box back out to Allen. History final. Tie game with five seconds remaining. Sure. Uh... My sixth man was Walter Ray Allen, Jesus Shuttlesworth. Um, uh, I think he was a sneaky player once I, like, I don't know why I forgot about him. Obviously, how could I? He was a tremendous player. Um, He was a nine-time All-Star during the decade. He ended up winning a championship with the uh, aforementioned Boston Celtics. He is first uh, currently all-time in three-pointers made with almost 3,000 even. And he ended up shooting 40% 
uh, from deep for his career. So again, another guy that I kind of picked that I'm like was ahead of his time, even though he kind of came along in the mid '90s and really evolved in the 2000s. Um, I think one of the things that I would call out to the fans is definitely get on YouTube and look up videos of young Ray Allen and seeing how athletic he was. I know. I think a lot of people now just remember him from the later Boston years and then maybe even the Heat years where he was just really a role player and a three-point shooter. Like, that dude was a beast in his in his Bucks days, in his Sonics days. Like, he was really a true um, two-guard that could get to the basket at will. He was a big dunker, but he also had the three-point shot. He had the mid-range, so he really had, like the complete game um and it's actually kind of crazy i was looking up his stats his last year before he went to boston was actually probably his best statistical individual year he averaged 26 points that year four rebounds and four assists um so i mean he was a tremendous player and he was a guy that had to sacrifice a lot when he joined uh boston to win that championship so just a tremendous player and I really loved him. Obviously, he got immortalized in the uh, Spike Lee movie, He Got Games. So um, I think he'll forever be remembered for stuff like that and his crazy, crazy final shot um, against the Spurs from from that corner three that seemed impossible. Um, yeah, yeah, I think those are excellent points as well. The what, what you mentioned, the 26.4 points per game, it dropped to 17.4 points per game his first year with Boston. Yeah. That, was the, that was the first year since the 90s that he averaged less than 21 points per game. So uh, the 2000s uh, it, with the Supersonics and, and then a little bit in the 2000s as well with the Milwaukee Bucks, he was very legit. Uh, I think that was a great pick. I thought about him too, but I seen you had him, so I knew we had it covered. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, before we move on to yours, Chris, uh, Seth, damn, I didn't know, dude, that he averaged that many points the year before going to Boston. Um, yeah. I had always, I, and I, I've said it to this day, that the most unselfish su- superstar, um, in my opinion, of all time was Chris Bosh when he went to Miami and took that clear third seat. But maybe Ray, dude, I'm telling you, I didn't know because Ray was always the man. He didn't have the success, but neither did Bosch. And um, Ray was the Super Sonics go-to and the Bucks go-to, as Chris just mentioned. So, wow, I I just learned something new. I didn't know he was that, he was scoring that many points right before going. Um, Yeah, that's, that's why I called it out. Definitely check him out on YouTube. Like I said, you'll be pretty amazed how athletic he was. The whole movie shtick with him being Jesus Shuttlesworth wasn't mm -hmm. just like, BS and it was kind of cool that they did cast a real NBA player so in all the scenes like you knew that was real basketball and not just some goofball out there shooting like some crazy looking jumper like and that's the other thing that we didn't mention we have to give him props one of the prettiest if not the prettiest jumper that that has ever been seen in the league uh it's definitely up there quick release very fundamental and obviously super accurate so he was just a tremendous player through that perfect so yep. chris where you at bro uh, who's your six i just i just want to say and the lakers beat the supersonics uh <laughs> so my sixth man uh tony parker uh i think he was very underrated in this decade tp um he helped the spurs to win four championships 
He only missed the first one back in the in 1999. Um, and then let's see, he was a four. So he was four-time champ. He was a six-time All-Star. He won the 2006-2007 Finals MVP. He had three All NBA second teams and one NBA third team. He was legit, especially around 2008-2009. His probably his best season. He was putting up 22 and seven a game, um, which is crazy because do you know how many threes he averaged per game? Probably like two. Yeah, let's say two and a half. Point three. Oh wow. He, he, yeah, in 2008, 2009, he's putting up 22 points per game as a, you know, a six foot two, 185 uh, pound point guard who did not shoot the three. He let, averaged less than one attempt per game that year. Over his career, he only averaged 1.3 uh, attempts per game. So he was kind of the epitome of get getting around the basket. He was one of the best finishers as a point guard ever seen he was just so quick with the dribble and he was just so quick to get it up over the shot blockers i just feel like with that being considered as well as being uh part of one of the greatest dynasties of all time he deserves some love as my sixth man the the best uh, floater of all time no chris yeah yeah i agree and nba Tony finals was, mvp uh... Yeah, he was really incredible. Like like you said, Chris, I totally agree. That's actually a really good call. Like, even though he wasn't probably on the Ray Allen level as far as, like, accomplishment, maybe more individually versus team, dude, Tony was just, like, an incredible player. He just, like, slithered around the basket when there were a lot of big men around the basket and somehow always got a shot up smooth. Um he was just super, super fast. If you look at all of the footage from those He's championship so years, yeah. like it looked impossible. It, it looked like he could never get there, but then somehow he was at the rim and just laying it up. And he also had the that sick like elbow pull up jumper. So that's probably why he didn't shoot that many threes. But Tony, de- Tony definitely underrated and a really, really good player. Perfect. All right, so. Rounded out, the last player, um, my sixth man for the 2000s, it's got to be Mellow Man, Carmelo Anthony. So, uh, first of all, I think Mello, um, I'm very happy for him, actually. I want to say in real time, he just played his first game, Ooh. finally back in the NBA. Didn't go too well. I think he shot like four, <laughs> I think he shot like four or 14 or something like that. One so, it was, um, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. To speak on that four for fourteen game, he was minus twenty in less than twenty five minutes on the floor, <laughs> and that was only his the plus minus in less than twenty five minutes on the floor. Sorry, Melo. I'm sorry, I'm Hayden, but no, I'll, no. I'll let Hydro bring uh, build him back up because the two yeah, thousands yeah. is when he was amazing. I was gonna say my whole argument just got broken down in about seven seconds, but uh, let's focus on the two thousand. Seven seconds to less. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Mellow Man was also part of. So I hadn't even noticed. I have three of the best players. Yeah, yeah you all do. Three. Yeah, I have Wade, <laughs> Bron, and Mellow. Um, I guess it just worked out that way. I so Mellow in the in that decade, he averaged twenty four point seven uh, points, six point two boards, three point one assists and 1.1 steals. Um, he shot, you know, pretty well, I'd say, for as much as he used to shoot at 19 field goals attempts per game, 46%, and he was an 80% free throw shooter. Um, so during 
the decade that the argument for Melo is he never won, right? So a lot of these players have that um, stigma to him. What I do want to point out is he was the main reason why. First of all, the Nuggets made the playoffs every year, at least. Not every team can say that. Wow, okay. <laughs> people might not be too too happy with that, but he did take them to a conference finals in 2008-2009. Unfortunately, ran into the Lakers and didn't win the series. Um, but Melo was clearly a leader and, to me, one of the best pure scorers. Now, in, in the history of ball, you know, you could be a great scorer. What is the, the negative to that? Melo has never played good defense. So I will definitely say that his hustle has been pretty poor, but I think on straight scoring um, throughout the decade, he might've been one of the best. So um, again, I would take Melo as my sixth man because if you need buckets, that's who to go to. I wish he would have won a championship. He hasn't, I don't know if he will. Um, so we'll see Portland. what his legacy is. And <laughs> so, so you think it's funny, Chris, you're, you're no, no Lillard and, and Melo celebration? Hating, bro. Nope. Quick question for you guys. Yeah, I don't, and I don't know if this is ridiculous. Is Melo, Melo's a surefire Hall of Famer? Yes. Yes? No. I, yeah, I don't know. To me, I was analyzing it when I was looking at his stats. His stats are good, but he's really not done all that much. He's a 10-time All-Star and a 6-time All-NBA team. Uh, I don't know, dude. It's tough. He's I think he makes it, but he's not um, surefire. So okay. I think he makes it, but he's not surefire. That's Dang, you guys are a tough crowd, man. Like, I think he's probably <laughs> better than, I mean, realistically, not that I'm trying to muddy the waters, but I know Vince Carter was on, on my picks and he's still active. Like, so then if if Carmelo's borderline, then Vince Carter's probably even more borderline. Well, dude, right? actually, yeah. Thinking about Vince, is he all a famer? Because that's the thing. Vince, longevity, props, but no championships, right? No, uh, he has two finals uh, appearances, but other than that, dude, aside from, again, kind of like Melo, again, 24.7, 6.2, that's superstar level, but he never won Jack, so I don't know. I don't know. Chris, what do you think? Uh, He's borderline as well. I don't know if he gets, I don't know if he gets in right away, but I think he will get in. So are you guys just like completely discounting Melo or thinking he's borderline because because of the winning? Because he was still on good teams. Like, granted, no. he never won a championship. It wasn't like he was on terrible teams his whole career, but he was selfish. And I think if you had to give him some truth serum, like if you guys remember, there was that one year when he was already with the Knicks and could have opted out. I believe Houston was really interested in him at the time. And I don't remember who Houston had on their team, but in retrospect, that might have been a way better career move than staying with the Knicks, who are one of the worst run franchises of the last 30 years in the NBA. Yeah, that dude. And well, he did it because he got paid fat stacks. Didn't he to stay in New York yeah. with a crappy team? So yep. that's yeah, he was kind of selfish in that one um, to get paid. Uh, but okay. then he never wins. I don't think he's that selfish here. I have to say, like, what if he, you know, takes a big pay cut and goes to join, I don't know, the Heat? What are people going to say? What's the narrative going to be there? Oh, he was just ring chasing. He turned down a big deal to do it himself. He couldn't do it without LeBron, blah, blah, blah. Uh, But, you know, with the Knicks, he had a couple opportunities, especially in 2013. He put up uh, 28.7 and 7 is excellent um he wasn't that efficient like we know but i the reason i say he's not a surefire hall of famer 
because um, he he didn't have as long of a, like a prime as he should have. That's in, that's my opinion. So he really felt uh, in the mid 2000 2010s uh, and then kind of the end of his career so far has kind of muddied the waters a little bit. Well, Chris, to that point then, what, what you just said, so he wasn't uh, too selfish, you said, or, or whatever it was there, right? And, and he, what if he goes to Miami instead of Bosch, wins two championships, and right now, do you think he would be a surefire Hall of Famer? I think he would yes. be if he had two championships. Yes. So, you I know agree. what I mean? So, in that sense, it's like he chose the money, and he, I mean, obviously, his family himself will be set for he should life. should still get in, though. You know, and he still should get in. All I'm saying is, had he not taken the money and he says, you know what, I'll be the third wheel like Bosch did instead of, which I don't think Melo would have ever done. I mean, he never did it, but I don't think he was capable of. But they would say he's a surefire Hall of Famer because the dude has two rings. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's fair. So it's tough. All right. So just to round it out for our listeners, I'm just going to go over each of our teams really quick. And the listeners can then be the judges of who they think would have been the best. Cesar has Steve Nash, Vince Carter, Dirk Nowitzki, Tim Duncan, Dwight Howard, and Ray Allen. Chris has Jason Kidd, Kobe Bryant, Tracy McGrady, Amari Stoudemire, Yao Ming, and Tony Parker. And I have Allen Iverson, Dwayne Wade, LeBron James, Kevin Garnett, Shaquille O'Neal, and Carmelo Anthony. So... We'll leave it up to the listeners to decide who they think would have been the best team. Now, let's move on to our next segment. This brings us to another conclusion of 2000's nostalgia focus on the NBA. This was part number two. I hope that you guys enjoyed our starting lineups. Now, we want to know who you think would have won. Would it have been Chris's team? Would it have been Cesar's team? Or would it have been my team? You know who I think would have won, but we want to hear what you have to say. Now, again, thank you for joining us. As always, you can find the podcast on Twitter, on Facebook, at Small Scoop Sport. That's where you can give us your feedback on those starting lineups. And one more episode left, one more part, one more segment of 2000s Nostalgia NBA with our third guest, Cesar Gutierrez. In that episode, a week from today, we are going to talk about some different segments of the 2000s. So, for example, we're going to give you who our goon of the decade would have been, the dude that we would bring with us if we had to go into a street fight. Uh, what player do we wish would have won a championship that didn't win a championship? Um, also, what draft class was better, the 1996 or the 2003 draft class? And finally, we're going to finish it off with who we each would have thought was the champ of champions from 2000 to 2010. So please join us next week. Again, part number three of 2000 Nostalgia. Thank you for joining us this week. This is Chris and Heidel saying peace out.